So do you have any moxie? Moxie, you know, determination, courage, bravery. Got any guts, any grit, any spunk in you? John was born on a farm in Scotland. He was the oldest of 11 kids. His father manufactured stockings, and so John, from the age of 12, learned the the stocking job, and and he worked in his father's shop 14 hours a day. He had two hours off where he could go and eat, but he used those two hours to study. John was pretty serious. When John was about 15 years old, a story broke about two men connected to a London society that had been killed on an island about 1,200 miles northeast of Brisbane, Australia. Those two men, James Harris and John Williams, went to that island strategically and specifically to tell the people on that island the good news, the great news about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's why they went. They were killed on November 20th, minutes after they landed on the island. And they were killed by cannibals. What is it about James Harris and John Williams? Why did they go to those islands? They had moxie. They had courage. They had bravery. They woke up every morning and said, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Nineteen years later, that Scottish farm boy, John Patton, got married. Two weeks after he got married, he took his new bride, and they went and lived among the exact same islands. There was a respected elder that was encouraging him why he should not go. His name was Mr. Dixon. And this is what Patton wrote in his journal that Mr. Dixon said to him. The cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. So he said, don't go. So how did John Patton respond to him? This is what Patton said. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. How in the world can John Patton respond like that? Well, he can respond like that because he had some moxie. He had courage. He had bravery. He woke up every morning and said, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Mr. Dixon wasn't the only one who challenged him that he shouldn't go. He had other folks that would challenge him for a lot of other reasons. 
One of the other church leaders said to him that he shouldn't go because his ministry was so good where he was. Things were going so great where he was. Patton wrote this in his journal. The opposition was so strong from nearly all, and many of them warm Christian friends, that I was sorely tempted to question whether I was carrying out the divine will or only some headstrong wish of my own. And then he said this. This also caused me much anxiety and drove me close to God. Great Christians saying, oh, don't go. And it, it created anxiety in him. But, but notice what he says. It drove him close to God. He's in the middle of, of a defining decision that's going to take him halfway around the world. He's struggling with it. There's some anxiety. And all of that drove him closer to God. And keeping in line with our sermon series, John Patton, boy, he was, he was moving. He was moving up. He was moving in. And moving up and moving in stirred him to move far. To move far. Why? Why was he stirred to move far? Well, he was stirred to move far because God called him to move far. And how did God call him to move far? He called him to move far in the exact same way that he's calling you to move far. Yeah, I didn't stutter and your ears didn't flap. God is calling you to move far. Make you a little nervous? Great, you're exactly where you need to be. Listen to Psalm 67, verse 1. God, be gracious to us. Have you ever been miserable about something? I mean, miserable. Like, like you knew you did something wrong and you were miserable over it and you're on your way home and, man, you're really hoping that your parents are going to show you some mercy. Yeah, you, you don't deserve that mercy. You know you don't deserve that mercy. You know in the moment that you deserve whatever it is that's coming to you. But boy, you are so miserable on the inside, you're hoping that mercy is coming. Mercy from a biblical standpoint is, is undeserved grace and favor for sin. So David begins his psalm by saying, oh God, would you, would you be gracious to us? Would you show us mercy? Would you help us with the misery of our sin? Would you give us favor, undeserved favor, for the misery of our sin? Oh God, be gracious to us. God, be merciful to us. That's good stuff, right? We, we can get behind that. God, be, be gracious. Be, be merciful to us. And then he says this, God, be gracious to us and bless us. We like that part too, right? Yeah, we, we love a blessing. Man, we want the blessing of a, of a good family and a good house and a good job and a good car. And, and we want the blessing of good kids and good grandkids. We want the, the blessing of a, a good tax return. We want the blessing of a good a grade on the test. We want the, the blessing of good friends and the good community and a good church. And you know, we love blessings. We like blessings. 
we like some mercy and we like some blessing. We want to be happy. We want to be blessed. So, so we're tracking with David, all right? No problems here. God, be gracious to us. God, be merciful to us. God, God bless us. And he says this. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Three for three, right? This is good. We love getting mercy. We love being blessed. And we love the idea of the face of the living God shining and smiling on us. Philosopher James Vernon Taylor wrote, whenever I see your smiling face, I I have to smile myself because I I love you. Yes, I do. Philosopher Barry Allen Pincus gives us a bit of the other side of that. You know, I, I can't smile without you. I mean, I can't smile without you. I, I, I can't laugh. I can't sing. I'm finding it hard to do anything. We, we know the concept of, of smiling and, and shining. Maybe let me put it another way. Do you like for people to smile at you or scowl at you? <laughs> what cranks your tractor better, right? Scowl or smile? See, David's praying and singing in such a way, saying, you know, God, be merciful to God. God, show us mercy. Be gracious to us. God, bless us and cause your smiling, shining, sovereign face to be on us. The world scowls at us constantly, so God, would you please shine on us? Mercy and blessing and the shining, smiling face of the favor of God. Yes, that's good stuff. We can get on that. You know, really only the, the meanest, most militant atheist would say, no, I don't, I don't want any of that. Just get all that stuff away from me. And how has God been most gracious to you? How has God been most merciful to you? How has God blessed you the most? How has the face of the living God shined into your world the most. Apostle Paul put it this way, Romans 5 or 6. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Helpless, hopeless, powerless, defenseless, escapeless, ruined, destitute, ungodly, undone, unsaved. That is who you are without Jesus Christ. You cannot pull your bootstraps up into heaven. You cannot serve the poor into heaven. You can not Baptist yourself or Methodist yourself or Presbyterian yourself or Lutheran yourself or non-denominational yourself into heaven. There's no bootstraps. There's, there's no good deeds, good works. There's, there's no denomination. There's no religion that gets you into heaven. Without Christ, you are separated from God. You are ungodly. Your soul is destitute and ruined and lost and unsaved. Without Christ, you are dead in your sin, completely helpless, and without God in this world or the world to come. And Paul says, at just the right 
moment in history. But about a thousand years after King David died, Jesus died to change your story. Jesus died to make it possible for you to no longer be ungodly. He made a way for you to go from ruin to rescue, from destitute to delight, from lost to loved. Now, someone might say, ah, I don't even believe in Jesus. I don't need to be rescued. I don't need to be blessed. I'm fine by myself. I'm good. I don't need your religion, and I don't need God. Let me again just, just graciously and and kindly refer you to these two words, helpless and ungodly. You can push them away, you can deny them, you can ignore them, you can suppress them. But the words helpless and ungodly apply to all of humanity, all of humanity. Charles Spurgeon said this about Paul's words. In this verse, the human race is described as a sick man whose disease is so far advanced that he is altogether without strength. No power remains in his system to throw off his mortal malady, nor does he desire to do so. He could not save himself from his disease if he would and would not if he could. That's a desperate soul. The state of a soul without Jesus Christ is, is separated from God and it is soaked in helpless, hopeless, escapeless misery and eternal death. So is there any good news? <laughs> there any good news for, for this helpless, hopeless, escapeless misery and death? Yes, there's not just good news. There is great news at just the right time Christ died for the helpless, escapeless, ungodly soul. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the helpless. Christ died for me, and he died for you. John MacArthur said this, when we were powerless to escape from our sin, powerless to escape death, powerless to resist Satan, and powerless to please God in any way, God amazingly sent his son to die on our behalf. At just the right moment in history, before you even existed, before you were ever born, God was gracious to you. God was merciful to you. God blessed you. God caused his face to shine on you before you were even born through Jesus Christ substituting himself for your justified sin, sin that caused you to fall short of the glory of God. Spurgeon goes on to say this. You will say, oh, I am one of the worst in the world. Christ died for the worst in the world. Oh, but I have no power to be better. Christ died for those that were without strength. 
Oh, but my case condemns itself. Christ died for those that are legally condemned. Aye, but my case is hopeless. Christ died for the hopeless. He is the hope of the hopeless. He is the Savior, not of those partly lost, but of those wholly lost. And then he says this. I would not mind if I were condemned to live 50 years more and never allowed to speak but these five words. If I might be allowed to utter them in the ear of every man, woman, and child who lives. Christ died for the ungodly is the best message that even angels could bring to men. Jesus is your greatest mercy. Jesus is your greatest blessing. And never at any moment in the universe has the face of God shined more brightly into your life than in the face of Jesus Christ. If your heart would honestly tell you today that your soul is still separated from God, that you are still ungodly, then we plead with you to come to Jesus today that you would run to him and go from ruined to rescued, destitute to delight, and lost to loved. David adds one more little word at the end of his sentence. He says, God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. Selah was kind of a, a musical pause, so to speak. It was kind of a little moment of, of rest. It's as if what David is saying is, boy, we just talked about God being merciful to us and talked about God blessing us, talking about God shining his face on us. Okay, so that, that's great stuff. Let's, let's marinate on that just for a second. Let's hang on to that just for a second before we move on to the next part. So let's, let's take David at his, at his word here. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. All right, let's, let's break that down. I just, I just want you to repeat that after me in sections, okay? I'll start. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. It's great words. Great words. And, and David says, hey, just pause on those for a second. Just, just soak those in a little bit. Why? Why would he tell us to do it? Well, here's a bit of a hint. Notice that we just said us three times. Okay. So, so this thing begins with, God, you do something for us. God, do something for us, do something for us, do something for us. And that's, that's okay. That's all right. John Daniel Jones was a pastor in the late 1800s and early 1900s. He said this, it is right to begin where this prayer begins, at home with us. It is not right to finish there. I pity the man who in his prayers never gets beyond God be merciful to unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us for he has simply not learned the elements of prayer. 
For that is a marred prayer, a narrow prayer, and a selfish prayer. And whatever Christianity is or is not, it is the very antithesis of selfishness. So the first part is fantastic. It is wonderful. It is beautiful. We own it. We love it. We embrace it. We enjoy it. But we can't stay in it. We have to move on. We we have to move. So where do we go after the pause? Why is God gracious to us? Why does God bless us? Why does God cause his face to shine on us? Why? Listen to verse 2. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. God blesses you to move. God blesses me to, to move. Not to stay where we are, but to, but to move. To move where? To move far. To move far. What does that mean? Well, moving far means this, that, that those who are ungodly because of Jesus Christ, their status changes. They go from being ungodly to being godly because of Jesus. And those who were formerly ungodly, they wake up every morning and again say, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And the formerly ungodly stay passionate about making sure that the still ungodly hear the message about Jesus. That they hear that there is a way to be saved. They hear that there is a way for their misery to be erased. Moving far means that if the only people that you seek to reach are the people that show up in this room, then you are not functioning as a Christian. Moving far means that that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called to be on mission. What kind of mission? What does that mean? What does that mean you should go on a mission trip? Sure, moving far means that that you can can go on a mission trip. That would be a great thing to do. Does moving far mean that if I can't go on a mission trip, that I need to give money to those who are going on mission trips? Yep, sure. That's exactly fantastic thing to do. Does moving far mean that, that maybe beyond just a trip that I actually begin to support a missionary and their family as they go to a place where no one has heard about Jesus? Yeah, sure, that's, that's part of moving far. Does moving far mean that I, I pray for that family, that I adopt a missionary family, and I, I faithfully pray for them every day? Does, does moving far mean that, that maybe I even adopt a, an unreached people group, a group of people who have who've never heard the gospel, and I pray for them every day? Yeah, that's, that's part of moving far. Does moving far mean that you quit your job and that you go to an island on the other side of the world to tell a bunch of cannibals about Jesus? Yes, That is exactly what moving far might mean for you. But make no mistake, if we are going to call ourselves Christians, we have no option. The God of the universe has called us to make sure that the gospel gets to all 
nations. So what does that mean? What what does David mean by all nations? He's not talking about political nations. For David, it was kind of two groups. You have the Jews and you have the Gentiles. So so David's really praying that that the great news of God's salvation would would go beyond just the Jewish people and that, that the Gentile people would find out about Jesus, would find out about God's salvation. Now, don't forget, we're, we're Gentiles. <laughs> you know, when you're sitting in the breakfast joint, like I remember one morning, I was sitting in the breakfast joint, and I heard some guy a couple tables over, yeah, these, these Middle Eastern people, man, they're taking over our country. You know what my first thought was? Thank you, Jesus, that a Middle Eastern person left their home so that I could be saved. Because had they not, the gospel would never get to me. So thank you, Jesus, that those Middle Eastern disciples of Jesus said, we're moving far. We're moving far. By all nations, really, we would say today what, what David was pointing us to is unreached people groups. What is an unreached people group? Well, it's a group of people that kind of have some things in in common. They're either ethnically similar or they're culturally similar or their language and their dialect are similar. And what they also have in common is they've never heard about Jesus. It's it's a group of people that have not heard the gospel. There's there's not a gospel church anywhere among all of their people. I I mean, imagine this. Imagine that there are no churches in Casey, West Columbia, like none. Like there's not a gospel church anywhere in this community. That there's, there's not even a Christian anywhere in this community. That is almost impossible for us to imagine, right? And yet there are places in the world that that is the reality of everyday life. There's a lot of estimates out there, but, but basically a, a rough number is there's about 7,000 unreached people groups. There's about 7,000 groups of people that have never heard the gospel. They do not have a gospel church in their community. David is writing, and Paul is writing, and Jesus is preaching, reminding us that there are people that have never heard that Christ died for the ungodly. I read something the other day that said the the spread of the gospel is more like a waffle than a pancake. Great picture. That the spread of the gospel is more like a, a waffle than a pancake. And the reason why is because you, know, you pour syrup out on a pancake and it kind of you know, moves around a little bit. But waffle, a little, a little different, right? You, you pour syrup out on, on the waffle and, and it didn't always get in all those little compartments, you know? You got, you got to work at it. You got to pick your plate up and flip it around and do something or put more syrup, you know? There, there's these little walls. These, these little walls. And the illustration is a great picture, right? Because when we look around the world, there are some little walls in different places. Some little walls of ethnicity. Some little walls of cultural difference. Some little walls of, of language difference. And if the gospel is going to get in that little part of the waffle, it's going to take some effort There's going to have to be some prayer and some money and some resources and some people that work hard to make sure that the gospel gets over into that little square of the waffle. 
that's why our church gives the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. We, we surpassed our goal this past year. That's why our church is, is part of something called the cooperative program, this, this unbelievable financial resource where we train pastors and missionaries and missionary families and mission agencies to make sure that the gospel gets and is moving toward all those little unreached bits of the waffle. That's why we sent a group of folks to, to Guatemala. We got one slot open. Might be yours. That's why we preach sermons about the nations. That's why we preach sermons about the gospel getting to all the little pieces of the waffle. But let me, let me push this and press this just, just a little further. John Piper writes, If God blesses his people for the sake of the nations, then God is most likely to bless us when we are planning and longing and praying to bless the nations. If God wants his goods to get to the nations, then he will fill the truck that's driving toward the nations. He will bless the church that's pouring itself out for unreached peoples of the world. So when we move toward the unreached peoples, we are not earning God's blessings. We are leaping into the river of blessings that is already flowing to the nations. That's good stuff. If you've been around here long, you know I could probably preach about six months on Psalm 67. <laughs> There's a lot in there. But, but this is just one sermon. So, so let me just say this as, as a bit of a challenge to us as a, as a church family. Let's do everything we can to make sure our truck is heading in the right direction. Let's do everything we can to leap in to where the river is already flowing to the nations. God blesses us to bless the world. Now, somebody might say, hey, we got plenty of missions to do right here in this community. You're right. Be here next Sunday, because that's what next Sunday's sermon's about. Move near. That's next Sunday. But today we're moving because Jesus himself said that this gospel that we have is supposed to get beyond Holland Avenue and Casey and West Columbia and South Carolina and the United States. That's what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. The gospel is supposed to be here, but it's supposed to get beyond here. It's not supposed to stay here. In fact, if our mentality is we've got plenty to do here, just know that is the opposite of Christianity. That's the opposite of the words of Jesus. That's the opposite of the gospel. We stay near and we go far, both and. And if it's one or the other, then we are failing. Let's keep the truck ready. Let's leap in where we need to leap. Let's dive in where we need to dive. And why? Why why should we do any of this? This is what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, 
and then the end will come. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Everything about his life that has ever been promised has always come true, and he promised that he is returning. So according to the Scriptures, if we claim to be a follower of Jesus, then we must surrender all and make sure that the gospel gets to all nations because Jesus says when the gospel gets to all nations, then the end will come. So are we longing for the return of Jesus? Or are we really happy in the sin and the evil and the misery and the difficulty of this world? Boy, I've lost some precious friends in the last two years. Precious believers. And I want you to know there is not a second that I long for them to still be here. There is no more sin. There is no more misery. There is no more trial, no more trouble. They are with the one who has rescued and redeemed, who delights in them and who loves them to infinity and beyond. So what does all this look like in real life? What's it like in real life to say, you know what? I am supposed to be about the business of getting the gospel to all nations because Jesus commanded me to be a part of that. And also, he said that is the trigger for his return. So what does that look like in real life? Here's one way. Howard Hendricks' story is told of of him getting delayed. He was a, a Bible professor out at Dallas Theological Seminary for many years. He was delayed on a plane, and, and the, the delay was really long. And as the story goes, the delay was so long that they, you know, passed out some, you know, adult beverages, and, you know, one guy just had a few too many. And he was really giving the flight attendant a hard time. He was just being an absolute jerk. But the flight attendant never lost her cool. She was kind. She was gracious. She was merciful. She was patient. And so when the flight was over and Howard Hendricks started deboarding the plane, he asked the flight attendant if he could have her name. He said, I'd really like to send American Airlines a a letter telling them what a fantastic employee that they have. And this is what the lady said to him. I really appreciate that, sir, but that won't be necessary. I don't work for American Airlines. I work for Jesus Christ. I'm just on assignment at American. You're on assignment. If you're a believer, you're you're on assignment. You do not work for whoever you work for. I do not work for Holland Avenue Baptist Church. I work for Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, the Redeemer, the Savior, the King of my life. And if you're a believer, so do you. So do you. There's a little cheerlead for work tomorrow, right? (laughs) You know what that flight attendant had? She had some moxie. She had some courage, some, some bravery. She woke up in the morning, and before she got on that plane, she said, I surrender all, all to thee, 
my blessed Savior. I surrender all. If you're a Christian, your life is, is not your own. And I pray that you will, with joy and excitement, love the call on your life to get the gospel to all the corners of the waffle. Let me just share one more challenge and word of encouragement to us with this call to all the nations. And I just want to say it this way. You know, there's, there's really no doubt that our, our nation and, and our world are in a state of, of moral crisis, to say the least. But can I just say, in, in a way to honor John Patton and James Harris and John Williams, and, and maybe in a, a unique way, to honor the possibility that one of the college students or teenagers our children at Holland Avenue Baptist Church might be the person that takes the gospel to the last unreached people group. Selah. Pause on that for a moment. In light of the, the men and women who have given their life so that the gospel gets to all of the waffle. In light of the fact that even in this room, the person who might get the gospel to the last unreached people group, triggering the return of Jesus Christ. In light of all of that, can I just say that the kingdom of God does not need to be made great again. The kingdom of God has always been great. Because our king has always been great. And though this world feels like it is falling apart, the truth of the kingdom of God is marching on. So friend, believer, Christian, let's get some moxie. Let's be brave. Let's be courageous. Let's wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, again, with all of this junk in my marriage and with my kids and at work and at school and in this country, again today, Jesus, I surrender all. And I surrender all. And I will move far. Because, Jesus, you are still king. And your kingdom is forever.